And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Tuesday morning and. And Happy New Year to every one of our listeners literally all over the world because I know that we have listeners just about everywhere. And I want to thank our uh, viewers and our listeners for being supportive of the Patriot Soapbox and of being supportive of Connecting the Dots. We've had a great run. We have a year facing us in 2024 that I think is going to be the make or break year for the entire world. And I do believe we're finally on the right side of history where we are the ones that are going to be uh, in charge of the system. And we're going to bring sanity and honesty and integrity and constitutional government back to the United States. And when that happens, Believe me, it'll affect the entire world. So uh, thank you all for joining us. We've got a great discussion planned for today. Uh, Elena Barbera is a, a mother, a mama bear, uh, lives in Florida, who uh, has decided to tackle the idea of cleaning up the pornography in the school system by exposing it. And she's done a fabulous job. And we're going to be talking about that. And also with George Carneal. George is one of the bravest men I've ever met. He speaks very openly and candidly about his lifestyle before he really uh, went back to Christ and uh, became uh, a gentleman who is one of the most outspoken opponents uh, of the lifestyle that is being educated into our children. And so this is going to be a fabulous discussion. I think, uh, Elena, I'm going to uh, open the conversation by just having you say a little bit about what you were doing with this film that you created, and then we'll go ahead and start the film. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, 
when I first started the film, it was to try to let people know that the media is lying to them. So we're seeing a lot of these LGBTQIA gender bending books coming out and they're being put in schools and school libraries and they're being pushed heavily by the American Library Association and the teachers unions. And whenever anyone challenged them, they said they were homophobic and transphobic. Uh, but really the reason that they were challenging them was because of the pornographic nature of some of the pages in these books. I mean, we're talking about heavy duty S&M filth and things that kids have no business being around. It is actually harmful to them. So I just wanted to expose the media lies. And then I ended up learning so much more about what about the history of how this started in the 40s with Alfred Kinsey and his students. And we'll get into the get into it later. And I started learning that in 39 states, it is legal to show pornography to school children in classrooms and libraries. And I started learning who was behind it. And I realized that we have a way bigger problem and it's not just pushing kids to have gay sex. It's pushing kids to have sex with everybody. So a girl have sex with girls, have sex with boys, have sex with girls who think they're boys and have sex with boys who think they're girls and just have sex with everybody. And STDs are no big deal. And there's no harm that's going to come to your life from this. And you're not going to have any emotional trauma or anything from just sleeping around with anyone. And when you do this to children, don't worry if adults are being sexual with you. It's all normal. And this is where we're headed, where we are actually, mm -hmm. where we're headed is even worse. And I'm realizing that a lot of people are saying, wow, I thought we might have had a problem, but I didn't realize it was this big. Well, um, part of that, and you're, you mentioned uh, how... Uh, this is being legislated, but actually the UN now is promoting uh, sex between adults and children. And uh, this, you know, the whole move to global government is really a move away from a constitutional Republican system of government like we have and what we would consider a, a, a fairly stable and normal society. And uh, if they get rid of the United States as a constitutional republic and move us into this uh, global system of tyranny, then uh, Katie barred the doors. Uh, all the rules are out the window. And uh, George has been uh, talking about that. Uh, he's been our guest before. I'm telling you, this guy is so uh, courageous to do this. Uh, George, I'm, I'm going to welcome you, and then we're going to go ahead and show Elena's uh, film uh, about uh, grooming the children. But, George, I want to just introduce you and uh, give you a chance to say a few words. Uh, yes, my, thank you for having me on the show and having me back, Dan. Uh, my name is George Carniel. My father is a Southern Baptist minister. And I grew up in um, a religious home, and I really just wrote the book From Queer to Christ to share not only what really laid, laid the foundation for me getting into the homosexual lifestyle, but what God had to do to really open my eyes to the lies and the deception to get me out of that lifestyle. And so my main goal is, is to really wake people up and to give Christians more insight and knowledge as to how to help the LGBT individuals, how to witness to them, and to also give hope to parents who have LGBT children in that lifestyle, because it's nothing that God can't handle and he can get them out of that lifestyle. And I want those LGBT individuals to know that they are being lied to, but that God really does love them and freedom can be found in Christ. Well, that's a great lead in. Uh, Thumper, are we ready to go with uh, the American Groomer film? 
Once upon a time, adults went out of their way to keep children innocent. Kids had fairy tales, sandlots, recess, and bedtime stories. Their innocence was occasionally dinged by adult topics through eavesdropping or the rumor mill. Today, forget about it. It's total immersion and kids can't get away from things they're not ready for. Culture warriors are telling us that kids are ready for sex from birth. And most shocking of all, this ideology's wormed its way into our schools. What can parents do when they just want to let nature take its course and do what's become unpopular? Letting kids be kids. Up until about five minutes ago, I was your average American mother. Then Sunny put me on YouTube and we started speaking our minds. Have you heard of the based mother? What began as fun turned into a mission I never saw coming. To stop the sexualization of children in American schools. You won't believe what I found out. The effort to ban books is accelerating across this country. What's really going on? Are there obscene books in schools, or are these parents unhinged? Their opponents are calling them transphobes, Nazis, religious zealots, white supremacists, every name in the book. Supporters of the book say they're essential reading for teaching kids about inclusion and love. And I think that's what makes books like these really important and in a lot of ways beautiful toward the human experience because they tell us what it's like to be someone else. The author of Gender Queer can't wrap her pretty little head around what the problem is. So I think the page that you're talking about is one where there is a scene of two queer adults. That page is about consent. The character asks the other character, like says, I am uncomfortable with what we're doing. Can we stop what we're doing? And the other partner says, yes, of course. And it's really <laughs> troubling to me that this page gets called out as like so, you know, inappropriate for young people when I'm like, no, teenagers need to know about consent. It's easy to agree that young people should be taught about consent and respect. But in this radio interview, just like in so much other media coverage, the book's content was described as helpful and innocent. The excerpts in question tell a different tale. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on. You will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. <laughs> you are going to look so hot. I can't wait to have your cock in my mouth. I'm going to give you the blowjob of your life. Then I want you inside me. This got to get out. I love all kind of people, all genders. He, she, straight, bisexual, gay, whatever, but this is wrong for a child to see that right now. Even the American Library Association has its hands in this. Most polls suggest that people trust their teachers. They trust their librarians. In 2020, the organization gave their coveted Alex Award to Gender Queer. Every year, it's given to 10 books written for adults that have special appeal to kids ages 12 through 18. Oh, it's special, all right. There are just... So many beautiful images in this book um, involving natural objects. I live in Canada and it's just absurd what's in the public school system. You have it too? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's why we homeschool our children. I think that's probably a little bit more liberal than we would be using for most of the time in England at home. Sadly, she's wrong. It's over there too. 
But just like most American parents, she thinks it's not happening in her town. The strap-on scene from Gender Queer isn't even the worst thing in these books. And we're not just talking about one book. We're talking about dozens, at least. Where does it stop? Which ideas do you guys stop at and get comfortable with? That this bothers you because it's uh, openly pornographic and kids can get it. Okay, but where do you draw the line? The line, Mr. Cuomo, is sexual abuse. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children in the UK defines childhood sexual abuse clearly. It's divided into two categories, non-contact and contact. There's a list of behaviors that constitute non-contact sexual abuse, and it includes showing a child pornography and forcing a child to have sexual conversations. Like this page where it talks about how to sext, how to take nudes of yourself, but make sure to cover any personal markings. This is this is the children. They're this is in this is in. Talk let's about talk about it. it. This is obvious. Uh, it's illegal to distribute child pornography, and it, like you get in serious serious trouble. And it doesn't it doesn't actually matter if you're a child when you do it. So they're basically setting children up to have their entire lives ruined to be on the sex offender watch list. Commit federal crimes. Yeah. Yes. Commit federal crimes. And there is a paragraph in there that says check the local laws to see because you might not be old enough to do this. Very lighthearted, cartoonish. Now, how many kids do you know follow every rule that you lay out for them or or have the wherewithal to check no, federal no. statutes? Children jump before looking, right? Like they, how many ch children are constantly breaking arms or constantly getting themselves in trouble? Like your childhood is supposed to be when you're learning, right? When you're learning from mistakes, you're supposed to be able to make mistakes as a child. But the, the mistakes that these, these people are encouraging them to make are, are life destroying. These pictures never go away. They're never actually deleted. It's always out there, even if it's legal, even if you don't get in legal trouble. There's gonna be naked pictures of you on the internet for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great grandchildren to see. It's totally nuts. And it's, it's the society that our corrupted elites have created for us. I think maybe it just opens kids up to things that they're just not ready for. Not ready for it. Wait until 18 years old, 21, then you can explore. But right now, you're a child, you're a kid. Have a good time. That's it, man. Parents are accusing schools and libraries of grooming their kids. But is this grooming? Some argue the explicit images and topics in these books are essential sex education. Some say that grooming isn't a real thing at all. To find an answer to the question, what is grooming, I turn to the works of former FBI agent Kenneth Lanning, who spent over 40 years researching, training agents, and consulting on cases involving sexual victimization of children. There are multiple uses for the word grooming. There's grooming an animal. Kate Middleton was groomed to be a lady, and look at her. She ended up married to the future king of England. But here we're talking about grooming in the context of sexual abuse. As Lanning explains it, grooming is a set of techniques used by some child molesters to gain access to their victims and to ultimately control them. He uses the word grooming interchangeably with another familiar word seduction. So what are these seduction techniques? We're talking about things that might seem harmless, like attention, affection, special privileges. Put simply, grooming tactics are the first steps of non-contact sexual abuse. Please allow me to paint for you a disgusting portrait of how this works. In 2015, the movie Spotlight came out. It told the true story of how the Boston Globe's investigative journalism team uncovered an international child sex abuse scandal. The Catholic Church had been protecting priests who were pedophiles for decades. The film included the story of a man named Phil Saviano, who was a survivor of sexual abuse in the church. The following monologue explains grooming better than I ever could. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, religion counts for a lot. And when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. He asks you to collect the hymnals or take out the trash. You feel special. It's like God asking for help. So maybe it's a little weird when he tells you a dirty joke, but now you got a secret together. So you go along. Then he shows you a porno mag and you go along and you go along and you go along until one day he asks you to jerk him off or give him 
him a blowjob. And so you go along with that too because you feel trapped because he has groomed you. This isn't a unique experience, and it's never been exclusive to the Catholic Church. Grooming breaks down the barriers between a child and a dangerous predator. At the same time, it raises barriers between a child and their parents. It makes them think they're sexual objects to the adults around them and also to each other. I know what you must be thinking. This is different. No way this is happening in schools. Tell that to the father in Oregon whose teacher gave his daughter a sexual fantasy assignment. I want to first say you're a liar. It's not a rumor. I have the proof right here in my phone of the whom with you with whom would you do it with? And my daughter specifically stated that the teacher put up a wheel on the class board and it stated anal penetration, oral sex, licking up here, kissing, and he wanted them to write down the initials of a boy or girl that they would do these activities with. Or tell that to the parents in districts around the country who found this in their middle schools. It sounds dumb, I know. And I mean, like, obviously, I know it's sex when a penis goes inside a vagina. But what about all the other stuff, like oral sex or hand jobs and fingering? And what about kinky people who do these things that are totally sexual? But it's not like sex sex, like uh, spanking or being tied up with ropes and dangled from the ceiling. It may seem hard to believe, but that's not even the craziest part of this. When I talked to Terry Schilling in D.C., I left shocked by what he told me. This all started with Alfred Kinsey and the Kinsey Institute. They started pushing these laws. 37 states have what's called obscenity exemption statutes, and that allows them to put pornographic books in schools. So what's happening is you can be in a school and show children in a classroom books like Genderqueer, books like Let's Talk About It, whatever porn it is, doesn't matter. You can show it to But if you walk outside that school to the playground up across the park, and you show those same children the same material you'll be arrested. We have a nonsensical system where the institutions with authority are able to deliver the most damage and abuse to our children. I'm in shock. If you or I gave it to kids in school, parents would have us locked up. It's literally sexual abuse of children. That led me to Lynchburg, Virginia, and one of the nation's leading experts in children's and parental rights. What is an obscenity exemption? There are provisions in the law that were put in place roughly in the 50s, 60s, 70s, depending on the state, but they are exemptions from the obscenity criminal statutes. To break it down, there are criminal laws regarding obscene materials that are considered harmful to minors. This is why it's illegal to sell a Hustler magazine to someone under 18. But in dozens of states, you can show that magazine to any kid of any age in a school or library, and the criminal law doesn't apply. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, except you wouldn't even have to go to jail in the first place. Illegal and harmful to kids on one side of the threshold, totally passed on the other side of the Correct. threshold. How does it become not harmful once you cross the threshold? It, it doesn't, but that's the ridiculousness of these exemptions. Here's another example of what a teacher or librarian can read to your kid in most states. Hey guys, what you doing? Taking care of business, have a seat. Uh-oh, I think I figured out what taking care of business means. We're each busting a load into this bottle. If you don't come, you have to drink it. Ha, ha, ha. Are you wondering if you live in a state where anything goes? We'll get to that. But first, how did these laws come to be at all? Alfred Kinsey is really the one who started it all. Kinsey was a zoologist who spent all his time with bugs, but he had a bit of a sexual fetish. So in the 40s, he secured funding from the Rockefeller Foundation. Yes, those Rockefellers. 
to fund his research at Indiana University, where he wrote and released two books on human sexual behavior. In those books, he made, I mean, they're, they're huge, 600 page, you know, 600 page scientific looking, and they have lots of charts and graphs, and they look like they're scientific, and he acted like he had scientifically proven this. He claimed that basically as far as children go, that children are sexual from birth, children are not harmed if they engage in sexual activity at any age, and probably the most shocking thing in there are these tables that he has in there that, you know, just you think they're just any old table. But when you read them, he talks about children as young as two months old having orgasm, what he calls orgasms. And you have the two-month-old, four-month-old, how many times over a period of time. And we came came to learn what, what he did actually is he used material from pedophiles, serial pedophiles, who when they were abusing the children would like keep a diary. So he didn't actually conduct these experiments on the children himself. He just borrowed information from pedophiles who kept diaries of their abuse? Yes. Now, he may have, uh, it's debated as to whether he actually did any of them or not, or at least observed. We think he at least observed some of the quote-unquote experiments, but for certain, most of the materials were given were given to him by these, these serial pedophiles, one of whom was a Nazi. So a perv calls sexual abuse of children science. One might think he'd be ostracized or jailed, but no. Once he got the books published, then the Rockefeller Foundation and all and the people who were associated with them switched gears to the legal system because they needed to change the laws in order to correspond with this new science. The Rockefellers paid to have an army of lawyers, lobbyists, and legislators write up these exemptions, then managed to ultimately get them passed in 44 states. These are the same people who put up the most famous Christmas tree in the country every year. How sweet. You're 12, you're 13, Whoa. you're 14. Okay. What were the focuses in school? Math, geography, yeah. geography Reading. was a big Gym. subject. Did you guys have sex ed? What it was an help. They told you about starting your period, which was a big deal, but it we was very it. quiet then. Mm -hmm. It wasn't on TV, but that's the only sex ed we had. We learned very little about the female body. We learned a lot about male um, sexual reproduction, basically all the basics. And they also drilled into us how not to get into trouble. So was there any um, talk about sex? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Who taught you about that? Yeah. My boyfriend. <laughs> Bob, you've lived a lot, been married. All of you have had children, and many of you have grandchildren and even great-grandchildren, right? Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Is there more that kids should be taught than what you were taught? Mm -hmm. Sex, sex is just so nonchalant nowadays mm, yeah. to the kids. You know, it's no big thing. It'd be like 10 or 11. Yeah, sex is no big, no big thing to nobody. We couldn't seem to land on specifics, so I showed my guests what their grandchildren have at their fingertips. Hey, so I've been meaning to ask, how is it going with you and Aiden? Aiden? How's the sex? <coughs> oh, well, it's fine. I mean, he loves it, so I guess it's going good. If it were good, you would know it. Ooh, I know. Masturbate in front of him. What? Yeah. <laughs> Hear me out. It's not just a super hot and sexy thing. 
but you'll be literally showing him how you like to be touched. How do you like to? This is in school? Yeah. Whoa! I think it's too young, too much, too soon. When it's two kids under 18 and they're having sex, they're not having sex, they're sexually abusing each other because they don't know what is happening. How did we make the quantum leap from health class in the 50s to encouraging girls to being porn stars for their high school boyfriends today? If you guessed Alfred Kinsey, you'd be right. In the 60s, one of Kinsey's most fervent disciples, Mary Calderon, got seed money from Hugh Hefner of the Playboy Empire. So she left her job as a director at Planned Parenthood and used the cash to found Psychus, the Sexual Information and Education Council of the United States. Sounds important. Today, Psychus is the most influential sex ed organization in the U.S., and it's influential can be felt in every school in America. Psychus hasn't strayed an inch from its founding principle that children are sexual from birth. They're using federal funding to fight for even more aggressive laws, currently lobbying for nationally mandated sex education starting in kindergarten. For now, the poor kindergartners are limited to topics like this one from the book Grandpa's Pride, which fills them in on Grandpa's kinky S&M life. The people behind the sex for everybody ideology are grateful to know the big kids, meaning 11-year-olds, can see a lot more. Can I show you some stuff? Oh, yes, please. Oh, I don't think it, it, it will be shown in, in a school. I don't yes. think it's a part of education. Teachers are not responsible for teaching my great-grandchildren how to stick it up somebody's ass. Times change, and of course change can be good. But books like this being pushed onto our kids aren't telling the whole story. They leave out important science that could save kids from a lifetime of misery. This one reads, While they're not perfect, barriers like condoms are your best defense when dealing with sexually transmitted infections. The truth is, even proper condom use only reduces the chance of catching genital herpes by 25 to 50 percent. In their push to normalize everything, this book says, Turns out the majority of STIs are treatable and if caught early, no biggie. No biggie? There are some that are untreatable, like HPV and herpes, both of which the majority of people have, even if they're symptomless. Not only is this inaccurate, but painful open sores on your genitals are also no biggie. There are some scary infections out there, like HIV. But you know what? Even that can be treated. HIV and AIDS? No biggie. Woo! Somebody should have told us in the 80s. Organizations we're supposed to trust are twisting or leaving out scientific facts while also ignoring everything we know about child development. Like the brain, our prefrontal cortex, right here, doesn't fully develop until the mid-20s. So kids only have limited ability to use logic, weigh consequences, and plan. Instead, they rely heavily on the amygdala, the emotional center of the brain, and it shows. If they're not providing real science to kids, what are they doing? They're grooming them. Grooming is the act of putting ideas in a child's head that they're not ready for, going against the parent's will, going behind the parent's back, keeping secrets. Uh, and essentially, I would just say that it's it's doing something to children that, that they're not ready for in life. Around 11 to 12, you become hormones with feet. And one of the things that you really, I think, need to teach kids is that actions have consequences. Psychus teaches sex positivity, that any and all sex is good 
good and you can have as many partners as works for you that there should never be any judgment it's all healthy and normal and wonderful at any age but the truth isn't that simple especially for girls who have a wildly different neurological reality than boys one hormone oxytocin has a strong bonding effect for girls while at the same time disrupts critical thinking and judgment maybe we should explain that to girls so they consider getting to know somebody before letting them impair their judgment and worse leave them with regret when they sober up from the hormonal high psychus leaves this science out too men and women are simply not wired the same psychus planned parenthood national education association the american library association the human rights campaign they all have big influence and they all conveniently leave out this well-established science when they're telling girls that sleeping around is harmless then take into account the physical reality. A young woman's cervix isn't well-developed and leaves her at a much greater risk for HPV, which is known to cause cervical cancer. Are we going with no biggie on that one? Then take birth control. They're giving those out like candy. But no one teaches girls that women who take them have a higher risk of getting breast or cervical cancer. Guess what? No biggie. It wasn't that long ago that there was universal agreement mm -hmm. that it was virtuous for us to protect the innocence of children. What the hell happened? Yeah, up until five minutes ago, this was all common sense, and it was well known that, you know, the red line you don't cross is going after children. But I think it's kind of been a slow burn leading up to it, um, but it was so insidious that we maybe couldn't see it um, until it kind of just boiled over. I think that there are a few motivators behind it. The first one is to normalize pedophilia and they're using this agenda to kind of push that through and to get the public to be okay with it. I think another motivator is obviously money, you know, hooking these children up to, uh, to the medical industrial complex. Um, yeah. Big Pharma loves trans kids. Side note, Big Pharma also loves kids with STDs. For every year's worth of new STD cases, the medical industrial complex brings in about $15 billion in lifetime medical costs. About half of that comes from people aged 15 to 24. Nothing's better for them than tethering your kids to the system for life. I think that they are scaring people into silence. You know, they're using the LGBTQIA plus community to gain acceptance from it and, and to make sure nobody speaks out against it or else you're labeled a bigot, you're labeled a homophobe or a transphobe. And you know, we take great issue with that because we never consented to any of this being done in our name. We never signed up for this. We never foresaw this coming when we were just fighting for our rights, you know. There's also uh, other dangers. Children that are getting abused because of that will think that is the norm and they shouldn't speak out. And if we show that act, we like normalize something that's abnormal. This is from Let's Talk About It. This is a page uh, describing how to um, masturbate with your anus. I'm honestly not sure. I understand how it's controversial. I just don't know like if kids don't read about it in school or like don't do it kind of like in a safe environment, how and when and where are they going to approach this? Like at least school and textbooks are, you know, like they have some guidance. They have a teacher with them. How do you think uh, teachers and librarians will feel talking about this stuff? That I don't know. I think that that is probably way more problematic because I don't know if they're receiving proper training with these textbooks. Like I don't know how they're being like train or guide into this and I'm sure it's not always going to be like an easy topic for teachers to approach. I wonder what anal masturbation training for teachers looks like.
If common sense and instincts tell you that kids don't need to see this, there are decades of research that prove you're right. What happens when a kid is groomed is they get confused about what's appropriate, and they start treating themselves and each other like sexual objects, participating in conversations and activities their minds and bodies aren't equipped for. Dr. Bronwyn Arnold at the University of South Australia tells us that victims of sexual abuse may experience cognitive distortions in relation to abuse, including normalization and positive associations of their abuse experiences. So they get this warped sense of reality the mind stops working right. Before I get further into the devastating effects of sexual abuse, I have to say this problem we have is way bigger than Epstein Island and way bigger than the Catholic Church scandal. Epstein Island, we're talking about probably a few hundred victims. Not trying to minimize what happened to them. It's atrocious. The Catholic Church, probably tens of thousands of victims, maybe more. But this stuff we're dealing with, this grooming in our schools with pornography, sexy drag shows, grouping kids based on who they're sexually attracted to, the scale is massive. There are just under 50 million children in the American public school system. That's 50 million school children who are sitting ducks. A little more on why this matters. Psychologists at the University of Manchester and University of South Wales analyzed 68 separate studies on childhood sexual abuse, and they concluded that a survivor is three times more likely to attempt suicide than someone who wasn't sexually abused as a child. Three times more likely to attempt suicide. The CDC says people who endure sex abuse as a kid are more likely to have heart disease, obesity, and cancer in adulthood. Depression and PTSD are par for the course. Plus, survivors are more likely to abuse drugs, more likely to have risky sexual behaviors, and catch STDs, and are also more likely to perpetrate sexual violence on others. These things are hard to hear but they're harsh realities for victims. This kind of abuse even affects physical brain development. One interesting finding is that survivors have an increased likelihood of psychopathology. So you can become a psychopath from being sexually abused as a child. But let's keep shoving sex down kids' throats and calling it a right and a natural part of childhood. As if all that weren't enough to make us stop introducing kids to kink. Did I forget to tell you about the kink? Remember the innocent conversation about consent from Genderqueer? That book also includes a casual mention of an S&M website. Toured the SF Armory, which at the time housed the filming studios of kink.com. Every kid's got a smartphone. Yeah, of course. Have you guys seen kink.com? May I show you? Please show us. I, I've I, never seen no. that. A seven-year-old can just, oh my god. Oh. So this is wow. in some uh, and, 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 and middle school, high school libraries, and in some classrooms. That is. Huh. This is the book that the largest teachers union in America recommended to teachers for summer reading. Why would teachers need to see this to be more effective? Why do children even need to know this exists? Uh, I wouldn't have that conversation with anybody. Okay, how old they were? How old they were? It's important to say that we can't blame this all on teachers. The vast majority of them are good people with good intentions. They want to do their part to give children what they need to be intelligent, productive members of society. It's these powerful organizations that are pushing this on our kids. But unfortunately, there are, in reality, increasing numbers of teachers who are obsessed with children's sexuality and are happy to provide X-rated materials behind a smokescreen of inclusion. This has been my first year in preschool with a class of my own. We've been talking about gender and skin color and consent. Having LGBTQ plus books in the classroom and making sure that our classroom is a brave and safe space for everyone is so important. I find it important for my students to get to know about other people and different lifestyles, but also it helps them create an identity for themselves. 
Being identified as a member of their family and community was enough for human beings for thousands of years. It was the glue that held us together. But apparently, those teachers know better than all of us. With so much focus on diversity, inclusion, who kids are sexually attracted to, you'd think there's nothing else to do in school. You'd think our children are intellectual rock stars ready to pioneer in engineering, literature, and philosophy. Think again. Only 37% of 12th graders reached or exceeded the benchmarks for math and reading that would give them what they need for entry-level college courses. Politicians and school administrators are quick to blame the pandemic. That stat I just gave you? That was from 2019. The U.S. education system's been in free fall for decades. The shutdowns only served to make a bad situation worse. Before the pandemic, 36% of students were performing below grade level in at least one academic subject. Now, that's up to 49%. But my favorite disaster comes out of Oregon, where they scrapped the high school graduation requirement that made sure kids could, and I quote, read and comprehend a variety of text, write clearly and accurately, and apply mathematics in a variety of settings. You know why that was scrapped? Because those requirements were racist. Since they dropped the standards, graduation rates are looking great. Unfortunately, last year, roughly only a third of those graduates were proficient in math and reading. Hmm. All this may explain why more and more parents are homeschooling their children. Someone should tell the Oregonians that black homeschool students are scoring 23 to 42 percentile points above their public school peers on standardized tests. Tell me about how you decided to start homeschooling your boys. It's something I've always thought about doing, but then we've always been on two separate pages about that. So when he came to me and was like, I think we need to homeschool, it was like... Oh my gosh, I think it's the right time. You know, for us, it was just rooted in, yeah, what was going to be best for our kids and their education. There are these you know, myths, you know, I'm sure you've heard them, Absolutely. about homeschooling. Sure. And, you know, there's a few going around. One of them is parents are not qualified to teach. I think even just, yes, a myth or a stigma of, like, homeschoolers are weird and parents are weird. Or you worry about what people are thinking, like... Maybe she's not qualified to teach her kids. But the amount of resources that are out there is really crazy. So we have found so many things that I'm like, I actually think I like this better than public school. Not everything. You know, it's definitely a mix and match for us. Parents ought to be the ones who are teaching their kids. Like, everything, in, in, in our opinion, I think the parents ought to be kind of the guardians of the gate on how my kids learn to think and how they see the world and mm -hmm. how they love others and all of those things. So. Are you guys familiar with either of these books? I do feel like I've heard of this one, but I have not actually seen it until today. I'm sure. going to apologize <laughs> in advance for what I'm about to show you. I mean it. I'm scared. <laughs> OMG. Oh, wow. My kids are not so sheltered that they don't know of things. It's hard because, I mean, I do have boys as well, so I'm not necessarily the person they're wanting to talk to. But we always try to make it like, you can come talk to us. It's not like you're going to be in trouble if you see something or hear something that you don't know about. But even some things that have come across in this house, I'm like, okay, you don't actually know what you... Some of the things that I feel like some people at this age do know. I'm thankful for that. I'm like, I want you to stay little as long as you can. Like, if you seem uncool or you seem sheltered, sheltered yeah. I'm okay with that. That's okay. 
Now that you've gotten a glimpse into these books, will you be adding these to your homeschool curriculum? <laughs> Absolutely not. So what can be done about all this? Remember those trusty librarians? People trust their teachers. They trust their librarians. Well, the American Library Association has recently been booted out of Montana, Missouri, Texas, and South Carolina. And they're walking the plank right now in almost a dozen other states. Parents and legislators have simply had enough of their brazen agenda to sexualize America's kids. And genderqueer? Genderqueer comes out in 2019 gets challenged in 2021, now banned in at least 49 school districts around the country. 49 districts down, only 13,300 to go. And how about those criminal exemptions for showing porn in schools? In the last few years, five states have repealed them in a major victory for children. Congratulations to Tennessee, Arkansas, Indiana, Montana, and North Dakota. More repeals are up for consideration in another 16 states, and they need support from parents. Americans are standing up and fighting for what's right, but getting into this fight isn't always easy. So you're just fighting to keep children innocent, but the Southern Poverty Law Center has you labeled as an extremist group. What's that like? <laughs> we laugh about it. Um, we aren't a hate group. We aren't extremists. Anybody who actually knows us knows that we're all gay and trans, and we're just regular people that want to protect children. We want to fight back against, you know, what's happening. The backlash is growing against all of us, you know, and, and it's hard to even blame people for it, but I think that that's why what we're doing is so important. We get comments all the time, every day, saying, you're changing my perception of the gay community, of gay people, because, you know, all you see coming out of the community right now is stuff like this, and the drag queen story hours, and the half-naked drag shows with kids involved, and, you know, a normal person seeing that that isn't, that doesn't really know many gay people, they're like, they're thinking that this is just what all of us want and this is all of our agenda and that's not true and so I always remind people that it's actually a fringe minority within our community that that want to do this and that are pushing this but the majority of them are straight that are actually at the top controlling what you know these books that get into schools or funding these uh, you know or, or pushing for the medicalization you know these these therapists and these doctors and you guys have had a hand in 19 states passing bills that have banned child sex changes. That's like, can you just give me an example of one that you're particularly excited about? So in uh, the state of Missouri, one of the very first things that uh, I actually got called in to do for Gays Against Groomers was uh, to testify before the Missouri House and Senate. It ended up passing through the legislature. The, the governor signed it into law. It did get challenged by the ACLU just recently. And, uh, but thankfully, uh, the courts, uh, were sane in the state of Missouri, and they upheld the Missouri law. Gays Against Groomers had a part in that. What else can we do to keep protecting children? Really, the important thing is to get like-minded people elected to local school boards, because that's a lot of the bulk of the work. You said that most Americans believe that children should be protected from porn, and you conducted a poll recently where you asked people if they think there should be age verification requirements mm -hmm. for viewing online porn. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. It was it was eighty. It was over eighty percent. And it didn't matter what demographic you were talking to. It didn't matter if it was Democrats, independents, women, men, Hispanics, blacks, whites. It didn't matter. It was an 80-20 issue. And what we're seeing is that's actually playing out in the state legislatures as well. In Virginia, for example. Virginia is a, I would argue, blue state. You can maybe make the argument that it's purple. It passed the legislature here with only three legislators in the Senate voting against it. Every, it everywhere else, it was 100% support. And it was signed into law by a Republican. So Democrats and Republicans 
Republicans, even at the elected level, agree that we need to protect kids from porn online. And so there's a huge amount of great ground to gain there. There's seven states right now. We need to get to all 50. People are waking up and they're not afraid of being canceled anymore. But we've only just begun to do the necessary work. It doesn't have to be this way. They're going to tell you your kids aren't being groomed for sex at school, online, or everywhere they turn. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. <laughs> Trans rights are human rights. Are we top this at the White House? They're going to tell you no one is coming for your kids. I want to talk to the kids. Hi, kids. Hi, kids. Hi, kids. They're going to tell you this is all healthy sex education and can only lead to good things. If you want to hear from me on a personal level, just... They're going to tell you it's not the American public school system you have to worry about, it's the Catholics. Well, I have something to tell them. If a priest telling a kid a joke, if a priest talking about sex, if a priest showing a kid pornography, keeping a secret with a kid, coming between a kid and his parents, if a priest doing those things is grooming, anyone doing those things is grooming. And that includes every teacher who's doing this, every librarian who's in on it, and every school board member and politician who isn't protecting your kids. Get to work, America, because the kids are not all right. I promise to tell you whether or not you're living in a state with creepy laws that allow pornography in schoolhouses and libraries. Here goes. Alabama, Georgia, Idaho, Texas, Florida. Florida does protect kids up to the third grade. Ten-year-olds in the fourth grade can see anything. Let's go, Governor DeSantis. March those fancy boots right on up to Tallahassee and throw some weight behind this. Let's keep going. Iowa, Kansas, West Virginia, Kentucky, Maine, Minnesota, California. Hey, Gavin Newsom. Yeah, you with the hair. Never mind. Actually, California's a lost cause. It'd just be easier to move out. Mississippi, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. Wisconsin, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Washington, D.C. Fun fact, D.C. was the first place these sex ed materials went into schools. Experimenting on minorities is a D.C. specialty. Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, New York. Hey, Kathy Hochul, how about you take a break from policing free speech and protect the children in your state? North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, Wyoming. If you live in these states, get to work. Here's a list of safe states, but don't get a false sense of security. Obscene books are still popping up all over these places. Tennessee, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Indiana, Missouri, Montana, New Jersey, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Rhode Island. A reporter asked me a few months ago, where do you see games against groupers in five years from now? I was like, I pray to God we do not have to exist. To everyone who thinks it's okay to sexualize, sterilize, and mutilate children, Okay, uh, Thumper, let's go ahead and cut that. <clears throat> Needless to say, uh, this, this is a good way to start the new year by standing up and fighting back against some of this insanity. Uh, George, I, I, uh, I want to give you a chance to really get into this discussion. You saw a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, grooming stuff, I'm sure, uh, when you were in the gay lifestyle, but not the way that uh, Elena has shown this in her video, because I think a lot of people didn't realize just exactly how intensely this program has been promoted in the schools. We see it now. We know it's here. It's time to fight back. And I'd love your perspective on this. 
I just wanted to say to Elena, thank you so much for doing that video. It was very informative and well put together. And what I want to say is that beyond that, what people don't understand is that um, people present this LGBT lifestyle as, you know, from Hollywood and the media and uh, the LGBT activists is that it's a safe place and we welcome everyone and we're so inclusive, tolerant, caring, respectful, loving, and it's anything but. It is really a toxic and dangerous lifestyle. And what really burns me up is that the parents who take their kids to these uh, drag queen story hour or these drag queen events or even to the pride parades where you saw some of the footage from Elena's film. This is one of the things that would just burn me up because people don't really understand once you go into that lifestyle, we all want to say, you know, oh, they will use the guilt trips like, well, if you don't support these individuals, they will kill themselves. And it's simply not the case. If you look, and they'll, of course, blame Christians, and they're the ones causing all of this rhetoric. But if you look at Europe, where they are very pro-LGBT, and you look at the suicide statistics compared to the heterosexuals and then gays and lesbians and then the transgender individuals, they're comparable pretty much to the United States st uh, suicide rates. And it's not because of people not affirming that lifestyle. It is a very... If you listen to the stories of gays and lesbians and trans individuals, trans individuals who are detransitioning and gays and lesbians who've left that lifestyle, it's a it's really nothing but a meat market. Um, and here are a couple of things that people may not know. You know, once you age in that community, especially the gay community, uh, you know, you're kind of tossed to the side. You know, once your looks fade and your body falls apart and you get old. No one really has anything to do with you. Nobody talks about the domestic violent rates, not only with gay men, but in lesbians, it's almost double that of gay men. The, the divorce rate amongst lesbians is well over 70% at this point. They don't talk about the, the, uh, with the domestic violence, the threats, the harassment, the stalking, the intimidation of, of threatening their partners who may be afraid to come out of that lifestyle or, or, they haven't been out or they will out them online or to their families. Um, not to mention the suicide rates, the dangers of meeting strangers for sex. And, and in many cases where many gay men that I know of who've been raped, drugged, robbed, and murdered, sexually assaulted. These are the things that people don't really understand. It's a, it's a very hedonistic, I guess, uh, very promiscuous lifestyle. And even if people have been together for a long time, they pretty much have open relationships. And what is equally as infuriating to me is that for the older gay men, I know when I came out in the eighties, you talk to any gay man who gay man who was out in the eighties, we were seeing friends drop like flies. I know one guy who said that by the time he was 25, he had lost 50 friends to AIDS. I know of people who said that I would attend one to two funerals a week. That's how many people were just dropping because of AIDS. We've seen what AIDS does to the body, how it ravages it. It's a horrific way to die. Not that any way is okay, but this is what the youth are not being told. So they go in with this false sense of, of hope that, oh, well, I can just take this drug called PrEP. Or if you get an H, if you get HIV, or if you're, if you get an STD, it's no big deal. They've got drugs to treat it. Everything's fine. They can prolong your life, but they still don't understand the ramifications and the repercussions of that lifestyle. And as one man said in Elena's film, that they're, they don't understand the consequences of their actions. 
there's so much more I could go into, but people really don't understand what the LGBT lifestyle is like, not to mention just in the trans community alone. If you listen to these ex or the trans individuals who are detransitioning, listening to the botched surgeries, the infections, the complications that they've had from these surgeries, not to mention what happens when they get on the cross-sex hormones, the dangers associated with that. And they're crying and their, their stories are so heartbreaking. And they are now admitting we should not have been fast-tracked through the system. We should have been given proper counseling. But of course, the counselors these days are so terrified to not go along with the agenda or else they will be deemed homophobic or transphobic risk having their licenses revoked or harassed by the LGBT activists. It's just really sad that nobody's really, at the end of the day, it, it seems like they're not really looking out for the children, but I'm glad to hear that um, in various states across the country and with people like Elena and so many others who are speaking out, people are starting to wake up and hopefully we can fight this uh, because people need to know the end goal is uh, pedophilia. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, George, this is something that people tend to uh, poo-poo, or at least they have in the past, is the fact that uh, there's been a massive uh, eugenics program in the works in this country for a very long time. And uh, this is part of a much bigger plan to radically reduce the human population. And, uh, you know, these people do it any way they can possibly do it. Planned Parenthood, uh, abortion, if they can't abort, then they uh, create a, a, a scenario where people get into uh, gay or lesbian uh, lifestyles that uh, reduce the population. Obviously, you uh, if you're in that uh, uh, population, you can't procreate. And so that's just fine with a lot of the people that are part of this, this whole program. We need to look at the big, big picture here. And Elena, I think what you're talking about with this program does a great job of exposing that. And incidentally, uh, you, you said you hope this wouldn't be, uh, uh, wouldn't be, uh, the film wouldn't be something that would cause us to be uh, excommunicated from our network. Well, we don't do that here. We really expose the truth, and sometimes it's pretty painful, but the fact is uh, this has to be exposed, and people need to be made aware of just exactly how insidious, how absolutely thoroughly in in uh, imbued in the whole education system and what the repercussions will be. Elena, uh, go ahead, uh, please. Uh, you, you, we got to see your film. Uh, we did watch it in its entirety. I had forgotten it was quite that long. I, I was thinking it was uh, like 16 or 18 minutes, but uh, I'm glad we played the whole thing uh, because it's very, very important to show that. And uh, anyway, I, I want to thank you again for putting this together. But not only that, we need to be able to reach out to schools and to parents all over this country and let them know exactly how total and how awesome in awful ways this program is and how we need to stop it. 
I thank you. And you know, there's some, so the film is 36 minutes. It could have been 10 hours with, if I included all the information that I left out. Um, but you know, I had to, I put this thing together by myself, the only, it was just myself and my editor, but I did all the research and planning and writing and everything. I had never made a film like this before. It was, you know, I, I literally prayed my way through it and said, just help me to figure out how to do this. And I, and I did, and it, it, you know, I, I even interviewing people, you see me interviewing people on the street and in sit down interviews, I have no experience doing that. And I, couple things there. One, I want to let people know that you don't have to be an expert in something to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Do what you can with what you have and get out there. You don't have to have a lot of money, a ton of time, a lot of contacts, but you can get involved and make a difference because I think we started this show by saying we're not voting our way out of anything anymore. People have to start speaking up and getting involved. And I think one of the best ways that the government took so much control and was able to grow so large is by convincing people that voting is extremely, extremely important. And it is our civic duty to do so, which is true, but it then said it left it there when really as citizens of a nation, it is our job to do so much more. And I regret, you know, the first so many years of my life where I believed that by voting, I wasn't, I was doing my part and I wasn't. It's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that I am really trying to reach parents because they are, they are the most important ones that need to know about this so that they can know. And they will all say the same thing. Everyone you talk to will say, that's not happening in my school district. Trust me, it's not happening. And you will say to them, go look, go to the schools, ask them for lists of books in the library and lists of books in the, in the classroom libraries. And you will find these things they're in there. And, um, the teachers are another group that have been silenced because the unions are pushing this so hard and they're so powerful. And most teachers that I talk to think this is horrible, but they keep their mouth shut and they keep their head down and they just do their job because they're, you know, 20 years invested into their pension and they don't want to lose it and they're scared. And so I've been reaching out to different um, high profile candidates, mostly at the presidential level to try to say, somebody speak to the teachers and tell them that you're going to have their back because the teachers do want to stop this too, except for the younger ones who have been indoctrinated. They're indoctrinated in their college teaching programs. Mm -hmm. So they go get teaching degrees. And in those teaching degrees, they're talking about social change and equity and um, gender identity. And it shows in, in what, how our schools are ranking as far as our, our, how our children and their terrible literacy rates, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can't mm-hmm. count. They're coming out of, they're coming out of high school completely unprepared for any half decent job, never mind college. As I talked about in the film, I mean, the statistics on that are, I could do a whole film just on on the downfall of American education. So there's a, there's a lot that we have to do, but I want to reach the parents and the teachers and get the politicians, more of them really pushing hard on this because we are one generation away from just having an entire population of traumatized young adults who are dripping in STDs and regret. Mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, of course, that's why 2024, I believe, is going to be the year that we're going to start 
taking our country back, and we can. And you're right. It's not a matter of electing people. It's a matter of getting involved. We cannot look for someone else to save us. We have to save ourselves. And if you don't care enough about your kids and your grandkids to stand up when you see this sort of abuse in the school system, then you don't deserve to be a parent or a grandparent. Because the fact is, we have a responsibility to protect those those children and grandchildren, and we should be willing to give our lives to do that. Uh, and that's certainly the case. George, um, I want, I, this is something that's really important that people understand. Uh, when you were in that lifestyle, you talk about how uh, how really, really nasty some of the things are, the, the, the uh, fact that there's so much suicide, there's so much violence. Uh, amplify, if you would, a little bit on, on that, because it's important for parents and for teachers, and I'm, I'm hoping we're going to have some teachers watch this. Uh, in fact, we're going to try to get that out, because we do have some concerned parents who have approached us about what their children are learning in school, and hopefully they'll take a, a copy of this video and ask their school boards to at least review it. But uh, George, talk about your personal experience and how really, really destructive uh, this lifestyle is for uh, so many young people and they don't realize what they're getting into. From personal experience, from not only what I went through, but what I would see through other friends and just people in the, in the club scene, I just went through a, just a very depressed time. You know, you're told when you go into this lifestyle that that it's a great place. And I will say when I first went into it, it felt good. I was, I was finally being, when I was growing up, I was really abused by my male peers and I was really had a disconnected relationship with my father. So I was really lacking in male bonding. So when I went into a gay bar at 18 and I had men treating me differently and looking at me differently, I became addicted to it because it was the first time I wasn't being abused. And so when you get into that lifestyle, you feel great. You've got other people who are around you who think like you do and you feel safe and you, there's this euphoria that comes with it and you get sadly caught up in the drugs, the alcohol, pornography, and just the promiscuity of sleeping with a lot of men. But in hindsight, Dan, I can see that the reason why I was sleeping with a lot of men for me was because I was trying to fill a void of something that was missing from my own childhood. I didn't realize that God was the answer. I didn't know. I knew what Jesus did on the cross, but you know, you're, you are led to believe that God hates fags. God created AIDS to kill the fags. All homosexuals are going to hell, just really horrific stuff. And I really never saw God as the answer. So I was looking for it through men, hoping that they could take me away from that pain that I, and that trauma, the shame, the rejection I went through as a kid. So when you get into that lifestyle within three years, I had already, I was battling drugs and alcohol. I was depressed. I had turned to prostitution. I eventually, um, attempted suicide and it would still be another 22 years before God would get me out of that life. Sadly, when you get caught up in that lifestyle where there is no godly influence and everybody's kind of just going with the flow and doing what they're doing, there's just an emptiness and a void that I can't 
describe. And so many of them are broken. And what's really difficult is trying to make real connections. Uh, because really, again, it's such a meat market and it's just all about the sex. Nobody cares how many degrees you have, how many languages you speak, how well-spoken you are, what kind of job you have. When you walk into the bar, you are being sized up in terms of that's a hot piece and I want to be with him or her. And that's just pretty much how it is. So I found myself lacking in having real deep, meaningful friendships and relationships. I did manage to find some, but again, let me take it to the Christian side of things for a moment. What really angered me was when I would be in church and the churches would have classes for divorced individuals. It just made me mad because it's like, what about the LGBT individuals who are struggling with this issue? Why isn't there a class for us to kind of figure this out and work through this? Where are the Christian men and women who have a sensitivity to this? And if, and if someone had spoken something wonderful in my life about God and how much he really is invested in me. And he knew me when he formed me in the wound and what Jesus did on the cross for me. And although he does condemn homosexuality and it is an abomination that God doesn't make mistakes when assigning gender, but showed also the goodness of God, maybe it would have sent me on a different path, but there are so many mean spirited Christians who don't have the heart of Christ. And then you go to the gay pride parades and you've got these pastors and, and these church people there with their turn or burn screaming through the bullhorn messages. It would just make me become more indignant and just anger. And that's why there's so much anger with the LGBT community toward the Christian community. But you have pastors who will stand in the pulpits and they will rail against the homosexuals. But when they leave that lifestyle and go into the church, they are ill-equipped to deal with people like me. Because when we leave the LGBT lifestyle, they turn on you because you're a traitor. You're a Judas. You're a self-loathing homosexual. And, you know, we don't want to hear about this God and Jesus stuff. And then you go into the church where they don't know, they don't have programs for you. And that's what makes this such an isolating road. You've really got to have a thick skin and, and be strong and really lean in with the Lord to walk this journey. Because a lot of the churches, unfortunately, now are compromised. They now accept the LGBT agenda. They embrace it. They are woke, which is which is infuriating to me because 20 years ago or 30 years ago, had I walked into a church and said, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a homosexual. They would have embraced me. They hated me then. And now when I go into the churches and say, Hey, God brought me out of that lifestyle. I've been free from it for 16 years. Now you can be free and they don't want to touch you. Oh no, we, we, we're not going to have that. We don't want to upset anyone. Love is love. We embrace it. It's, it's a, it's really sad, but Again, the Christians really don't have any idea. I don't even have time to go into it, the reality of that lifestyle. And if they did, I think they would be mortified to think that I'm pushing an individual into that lifestyle, not only where they're not going to find any peace or happiness, but really pushing them into further rebellion against God. And because I do look at this, at the, the eternal picture, the, the spiritual warfare and, and the, the agenda behind the agenda, these are their souls, and we don't want them to die and go to hell. So this is also a big concern for me when I'm witnessing to my LGBT friends because I love them. I really do care for them, but they are so resistant to the gospel. And sadly, they believe these liberal theologians who have twisted the truth of God's word, and they have they have taken it and twisted it to the point of where being in the LGBT community really is like, is like being in a cult. When I was coming out of that lifestyle, it was so difficult trying to be deprogrammed from the lies that I had been fed from 25 years in that lifestyle, not to mention from the LG, 
be, I mean, the liberal theologians as well. I really want to encourage Christians to please start having more empathy and compassion. God loves them. And Jesus died on the cross for them as well. And if he's delivering me and so many other people out of that life, he is doing a work in the LGBT community. And so many of the gay men, especially who reach out to me, will tell me, I may not always agree with everything you're saying with, but I am miserable in this lifestyle and I want out. But the media will not highlight stories like mine and so many others. And so these individuals don't know that freedom can be found in Christ. They don't know that they are being lied to. So we've got to, like Elena says, we can't just sit down and just vote. We've really got to take action and do more work. So please get me into the churches and conferences to speak if you, or Mm -hmm. before legislators to help. And I want to say uh, with regard to what Elena said, there are teachers who've been caught on camera undercover stating that they know they only have nine months to groom the children. They know exactly what they are doing. And if your child even hints that he or she may be of the opposite or feeling like they are the opposite gender, there are some school systems where they will literally groom that child for the full nine months and never tell the parents that your child is dealing with this trans issue And then suddenly your child has been groomed to believe, oh, I'm trapped in the wrong body. They don't care. They're never going to stop going after the children. You know, George, that's kind of why I wanted you and Elena to have uh, this forum together. Uh, You you guys would be a powerful force to be reckoned with uh, in the school system. Uh, Elena, you you know, you're working with national candidates for uh, the presidency and national uh, elective offices. Uh, I work with uh, legislators, certainly in Montana. Uh, This is an important message. And what George is talking about and what you've been talking about, um, I, I think this is an absolutely beautiful opportunity for you to work together as a collective way to deal with this. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for your response. Yeah, I, I, I would love to. Well, I definitely think we should talk more um, and we can get into, there are uh, 16 states right now who are fighting to have the obscenity exemption statutes removed. So it started with 44 states five in the past about three or four years repealed those exemption statutes. And now we have about 16 states that there's active legislation that moves slower than a snail to, in order to be able to get these removed. So it becomes illegal as it should be to show pornography to children. These are, that would be a good starting point for people like us to reach out to those legislators and see if they, you know, if they want to keep the fire on here, we can come in, we can speak, they can use my film. They can use your book. There are ways that we can do that and we should talk offline and maybe we can actually get active and start doing that, um, together. Cause I do think that, you know, the, the Alliance is, it could be extremely helpful. Extremely. Um, you know, I want to, I just want to talk about one thing you touched on and you're saying how difficult it, w- it was for you to deprogram yourself. Um, and I, and I kind of feel that way about feminism, you know, uh, you know, having, I was born in the seventies, raised in a traditional family and, but also then taught, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to be this, you don't have to be that, but you can, you know, go out and be free and, uh, you don't have to have a traditional life. And what, you know, I see now looking back, thank God I wasn't completely destroyed by it, but I see what feminism is another part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, society, family 
uh, destroying effort. That's very deliberate. And it's, you know, it's in the light of day now. And when I say that to people who hadn't thought of it, and when I tell them how bad feminism has been for society, at first they get defensive and they say, women should be able to do this. Women should be able to do that. And then I started to tell them about the extreme anxiety and rates of depression that most young women have who are fighting for this. I show them the divorce rates and the there's data that shows that children raised in two, two, you know, parent households do better. It's just the, the facts and they start to come around pretty easily, but people just need to be able to see the facts, not just propaganda. And so I don't think we have a misinformation problem in this country. We have a refusal to look at information problem mm-hmm. more than anything. And I think we can, we just got to one by one, get, get the word out there. Yeah, I agree. And uh, one of the, one of the things that uh, comes out about uh, the feminist movement, uh, I'm glad you brought that up is the fact that uh, Gloria Steinem uh, was a, uh, a paid government agent that was involved in creating the feminist movement. And, and the reason that they were doing it is because the the income tax, the uh, ability for our country to pay for all the things that we were buying through the Great Society, uh, Vietnam War, all the things that were going on at that time, they couldn't support it anymore with the taxpayer dollar. So they had to get more people working, and the way to do that is to convince uh, women that they were being oppressed and they were being held down in their home and that raising children was not a good thing and that they ought to be out working. And guess what? They managed to get a whole new group of people, a very large group of people, paying taxes. That was what it was really all about. And it's amazing how all the dots connect if you just want to connect them. Yeah, it is amazing. And it's amazing. You know, one thing that I never, like I said, the feminist movement only got so so in, it's hooked so into me before I was like, this is gross. You know, this, this hating on men and hating on the patriarchy. It just never, it never resonated with me. Um, because I had wonderful men in my life. My father was an angel who, who protected us and took care of us. I had great, had a big family and uncles and I was always looked after by men and always protected. And so I, I never bought into it. And that's when I really, for me, it really started to turn the whole, my eye to looking at, at behind the, the veil at the feminist movement and saying, they're actually hurting us. And it's, it's, it's that one, I think is going to be an easier one to overcome than this sexualization because, you know, the feminist movement, women are still going to be traumatized because part of this feminist movement is the sex positivity and you can sleep with anyone and everyone and you won't have any consequences. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, you know, it's really enveloped with what George is talking about. There's a lot of crossover, even in the gay community, you know, feminism is, is a poison to women in the gay community. Uh, but I think if we can knock out feminism, well, you know, though the, the pins will start falling because I do believe, like you said, Dan, I do know, I do not believe that it's over for America. I do not believe our freedoms are going to be destroyed. I do not believe that this whole trans nonsense is real and is going to, we're still going to be talking about it in 10 years. I think only in 10 years, what we're going to be talking about is healing 
that's happening from all these young kids who are having an uncomfortable puberty, which is normal. And it, you know, do you remember growing up how weird puberty is? There was like one kid in, in school <laughs> who didn't, who wasn't weird. There was one, like it was a, a rarity, you know, mm-hmm. to not have a hard time. And, uh, you know, so, but now we have all these kids who have been told that because things are a little uncomfortable, they're born in the wrong body and they should take all these drugs and maybe even cut off some body parts. I mean, that's all we're going to be talking about in 10 years is lawsuits and, uh, PTSD. So this will pass. We're going to be okay, but we, it, it's going to take, it's going to take people like us talking about it and getting the word out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and George, um, you know, I, I said that you were one of the bravest people I've ever met. I truly mean that because, you know, admitting uh, the lifestyle that you were in, and as you say yourself, it's not like you aren't uh, still uh, still have homosexual feelings. It's a matter of you uh, overcoming those with your commitment to uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and a a, uh, I guess what I would call it, a, a an open and overt attempt to ex- disclose the the very very awful parts of this lifestyle, and do what you can to try to make sure as many children and young people uh, realize how awful it is and and stay away from it. Well, Dan, sadly, in our culture, everything is sexualized, and I know for a lot of gay men who will say to me, "Well, do you still have those same feelings?" I can look at a woman and think she's really pretty or beautiful. And I can look at a guy and think he's good looking, but that need to go sleep with men has been taken away. And the reason being is that once I truly repented of my wicked lifestyle and gave my life to Christ and asked God to just take control of my life. And I got into counseling and finally got smart. And I would ask God to have the Holy spirit to just bring to mind things that maybe I have forgotten about things that I need to look at, whatever the issues are, or even have the counselor ask me things that I need to really look at in my own life. And I was amazed at how I started to have very productive counseling sessions. And this was with both secular and religious and gay and heterosexual counselors. Even the gay counselors were very respectful they, they knew that my faith was important and they never tried to diminish that. So these counselors worked with me through that. But as I got that root core healing from that childhood trauma and everything that I went through, a lot of those things dissipated. And I would say that for anyone who's struggling with drugs, alcohol, pornography, even women I know who, who go, who eat food, they turn to food for comfort because they've been sexually abused or they go shopping because they're trying to fill a void. We are all struggling with something, some more, it's more harsh, more deeper, uh, more traumatic than others. But I would say to those LGBT individuals, there is so much more to life than sex. And if you Whatever you lose leaving that lifestyle, I have found that God has filled that void in so many other ways. And one of the things that God has given me is not only peace, but peace of mind, peace about my past and peace with him. And to those LGBT individuals, I would say, I no longer have that anxiety because when you're in that lifestyle, you've got to be young. You've got to have six pack abs. You've got to be good looking. You've got to take care of yourself. And there's this constant search for something that you're never going to find. And I realize now it was such a source of anxiety for me. And when I finally turned my back on that life before God even really became part of the equation, I was tired of sleeping around. I was tired of feeling like garbage. 
I was just hurting so badly and I didn't know, well, could God be part of the equation or else it's suicide? I had really was just at the end of my rope and thank God, I just decided to give God another chance. And sadly, I went through the whole channels of the occult and new age teachings and Hinduism. So desperately trying to get to God, but trying to avoid the Christians because I had been so hurt and burned by Christians. And it's so sad, Dan, when I asked the pastors and the the parents who reach out to me who have LGBT kids, and they have no idea how to deal with this issue. And I will ask them, are there people within your church you can talk to that they can pray with you about your child? They will hands down tell me, no, I don't trust Christians. How sad that our own community where we should be able to walk in and say, look, I'm struggling with something and I need help without the risk of being ostracized or gossiped or talked about or, or run out of the church. It's just really disgusting. So that is the one area where the LGBT community gets it right. They will accept all of the mutts, the freaks, the outcasts, the losers, anyone who wants to come in. And when you have kids who are broken and they're hurting and they're looking for a place to belong, this is where the LGBT community will just suck them right in. And then they start to give them the propaganda. This is where the Christian community needs to repent and start taking a look at itself and how, how we have been and have we truly had the heart of Christ. And instead of looking down on these individuals, we start having compassion and empathy and getting to know them and not seeing them as some project that we've got to change, but seeing them as someone as they have family members who are praying for them, who love them. They are hurting. They are in bondage. We need to help them. It's just really sad. And I've heard of, I've had gay men tell me, they've had pastors tell them, we don't deal with that issue. Go kill yourself, castrate yourself. We're not going to talk about it. This is how cold and hard hearted even some of the pastors have been. It's, this is why it's, it was really such a battle for me to get out of that life. Just not being able to trust Christians. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to ramble on about that. No, no. It really needs to look at itself and its attitude with this, position, but at the same time, stop trying to be liked. God does not tell us to go into the world and, and be liked. We are to go into the world and spread the gospel. And we are to share the truth of God's word in love. And thank God I had Christians in my life who weren't woke, but they did. I knew they loved me and I trusted them. And even when they were talking to me about the gospel and revealing this lifestyle, how it is wicked and an abomination, it may have taken me some time to get it, but I hope what I'm about to say will really help the Christian heterosexual understand this. We all want to love and be loved. And so when you're being told, if, if you follow Christ, you can't have someone in your life that you love of the same sex, or if you follow your heart and you want to be with someone and to love them and be loved, God's going to be angry with you and he's going to get you understand that dilemma. And I think that's why I was so angry because when my father would have these conversations with me, I felt like he was just taking a knife and digging it in my back. It was really heartbreaking for me because I felt you're not looking at this from the standpoint of, I want to love someone. I want to grow old and have stability. I want to have a mate, but my father eventually disclosed. And I wished he had said this much earlier, son, I was looking at this from the eternal perspective. I was afraid of you dying and going to hell and me not having 
fellowship with you for eternity in heaven. And when he said that, it was a game changer for me because then now I understood where he was coming from. So I want the LGBT community to understand this. God does not have an ax to grind with you. He hates the sin, but he hates the sin of heterosexuals as well. He loves you. Jesus died for you. It is an abomination. It is wicked. Turn from that. It doesn't mean you have to go and be with someone of the opposite sex. Celibacy is a path. I've been on it for 16 years and God has really fulfilled and enriched my life. And I want to help those individuals know that there is freedom in Christ and that you can get out of that bondage. Well, uh, George, uh, you said something about your your father. I, I want you to disclose the fact that you uh, you and your father developed a much, much stronger uh, relationship and a friendship uh, after you know after you finally reconciled with one another. Maybe uh, talk a little bit if you if you would about that because this is an important thing. Your father was a pastor in a Baptist church. Uh, a lot of what you're talking about, the, the churches have really failed us in many ways because they're, they're either staunchly one way or the other. It's like now a lot of these churches are openly embracing this woke lifestyle and all this uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, programs and all this stuff in a much different way rather than recognizing that uh, they have a responsibility to bring people to Christ. I will just say this, and I hope this will encourage parents, and especially Christian parents. Even when I was in that lifestyle, God was working on me. That's why I couldn't get any peace. One night I was actually going into a bar, and God turned the noise of everything down around me. I had friends around me, but I actually heard him say in my ear, if you were to die tonight, would you go to hell? And it stopped me in my tracks. There were so many situations in which I, I, I should be dead. I was in some very dangerous situations. But even at the low points of where I was actually getting ready to attempt su suicide again, my father one time, I hadn't spoken to him in four years, just called me out of the blue. And I just bawled. I really needed him. I was just at a low point. But God was even intervening and working at that time. And once God got me and my father back on track and he mended that relationship, um, it really brought about a healing that I needed. And God's word tells us that I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact uh, verse, but, you know, what the what Satan steals, you know, God will give it back to us. And you know what I'm talking about. I can't think of the scripture but the last six and a half years of my father's life to be able to spend time with him and to have that bonding and that fellowship really did a lot of healing for me as well. Um, and I just want to say to LGBT individuals, my website is George Carneal, C-A-R-N-E-A-L.com. There's a lot of information on there, not only for you, but for parents. And if you go to page two, I ex expose a lot of what Elena is even talking about, even satanic coloring books that are being introduced to school children. So and even homeschooling uh, information. So uh, even the tyrannical laws that are being passed around the world. So Christians will really understand like Elena is saying, if we don't stand up and start fighting back against this, if you truly understood the end goal, the day is coming to where they're going to strip the rights of parents away from having anything to say about their children. And the day is going to come if we don't fight this where grown men and women can legally have sex with our children and grandchildren. And if you dare to balk, 
they'll get it under the LGBTQ umbrella because they're trying to make like pedophilia as a sexual orientation. They'll call it pedosexual or MAP for minor attracted persons. Once they get it under that umbrella, and if you dare to say something, they could arrest you for a hate crime and destroy your life. It's already happening in Canada and in the UK. Their laws are so tyrannical now. I really feel for the Christians and especially the parents who are trying to fight against this. So Elena is right. We absolutely cannot sit on this and just say, well, we're going to be raptured soon. Who cares? God's in control. It'll all work out. It's a very lazy, it's, it's, a, it's a sad attitude to have. We must get on those school boards and start getting into elected offices to where we can um, make those policy changes and really dictate this, Christ, this country going into a more Christian direction and protecting our children. Yeah. And I think yeah. when we're in these one-on-one -on -one conversations about Christianity, it, you know, you, t you asked about, you know, some of these churches are rogue and they're not speaking truth. Uh, we knew this was going to happen. The Bible told us this, it, it was happening at the time it was written and it's still happening today, but in tremendous numbers and on a more global scale than it was, uh, you know, it is it, imperative that we gently course correct over and over and over again. And, you know, I, I try to find the silver lining and everything. And so when I hear of people who are in these churches that are lying to them, but if they do believe in God, if these people going to these lying churches have gotten to where they do believe in God, they do believe that Jesus is our savior. They only need to then be corrected on the truth and be shown the rest of the truth, the way it was written and the way it's intended. Um, so it, it does give me a little bit of a hope, or maybe I'm really stretching there <laughs> that at least they're already believers. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I had a, a twisted view of the Bible before I started really studying it and understanding it and getting to the truth. And I, by no means an expert, but I know how to study the Bible now, and I know where to look for the, for the truth. And, you know, another lie that people were told is just, if you're a good person, you're going to heaven. That's all it takes. It's not the truth. That's Sorry, right. you're not coming. I can tell you how to get there. <laughs> and Dan, Dan, may I add one more thing, please? Absolutely. Uh, to Christians who have bought into this woke ideology, I want to say at the back of my book, I take all of those talking points that the LGBT activists and the liberal theologians use, and I debunk that with scripture. So if you will familiarize yourself with those, when you are witnessing to these individuals and they so casually throw them out, at least you'll be a lot more armed and equipped to gently debunk that. Because understand, a lot of the LGBT individuals aren't going to sit down and read God's word and get the truth for themselves. And I will tell you why, which was what delayed my healing was because when you grow up being rejected and you're rejected by society and your peers, and you feel like you're rejected by your father, the last thing I wanted to do was sit down and read God's word and feel like there's going to be more rejection. I'd had enough of the Sodom and Gomorrah speeches. So it really wasn't until I read God's word that I realized I was lied to that God really is my ally and he loves us. But when he's saying, do these things and don't do these things, it's because he loves us. He knows what will harm us. And that's both to the heterosexuals and homosexuals. So it's trying to help these LGBT individuals know that the freedom is going to be found in God's word. And that's why I love God's word, because what I love about it is that he takes the nobodies, the outcasts, you know, the people who had no real social standing and he used them for such great things. And I just want the LGBT individuals 
to know you are loved. And when a Christian is telling you the truth of God's word, it's not because they're homophobic and transphobic. It's because we're seriously trying to keep you from going down a path that is going to lead to destruction, not only here on earth, but for eternity. So please get the chip off your shoulder. Yes, there are some mean spirited Christians, but if you're honest, you will also know there are a lot of mean, hateful, two-faced, hypocritical LGBT individuals in the community. They are just as hateful as the Christians that they rail against. And I know that personally, because when I left the lifestyle, they didn't thank me for 25 years of service. I was now a, a Judas and I was told to go kill myself and, and a self-loathing homosexual and the harassment threats and the shaming. They don't care about you. Only God cares about you. So I hope you will take that into consideration. And uh, if nothing else, if you've tried everything else, what do you have to lose by giving God a chance? Simply sit down and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read the teachings of Jesus and see how much compassion he had for the outcast. But that still meant that when he said repent, it was to turn from. It was to help us to know what our sin was, but to stop it and to pick up our cross and follow him. And the eternal reward is going to be worth it. It is, and uh, something that you and Elena both uh, talked about was um, the fact that uh, the Lord does not expect us to be uh, sheep. He expects us to be uh, lions. He expects us to stand up for what we believe in, and we are not going to go to heaven by just sitting back and hoping that uh, everything's going to work out. We are going to go to heaven if we stand up as his lions and do what's right to uh, project the truth. That's going to be a really essential part of it. Um, and um, Thumper, I uh, yeah, glad glad you're showing that. Uh, we also, uh, George, your website, uh, George Carneal, give uh, people again your website so that people can get in touch with you. It's George Carneal, C-A-R-N as in Nancy, E-A-L.com. And on there, there's a, you'll see my email address kind of scattered throughout, but feel free to reach out if you have questions or if parents, if you have some questions or even pastors, if you just want to know how to better address this issue, I'm happy to go to churches and conferences. You'll even see a section where it shows a lot of the churches and conferences where I've spoken and we've not had any issues and people have been very receptive. And I just want the, the Christian community as a whole to really walk away feeling more informed, more educated, more empowered, and more emboldened in trying to reach out to this community. And uh, I have such a heart and a burden for them. And, you know, even women who've had abortion to know that what's done is done. If you're in, in a church and you are struggling with that guilt and shame, God is so forgiving and so gracious. And if we just come to him with such a sincere heart of hu and humility and true repentance, uh, he is He's just, he's forgiving and let's get on with life. The enemy's always going to throw our past in the face, in, in our face, but I don't have any more guilt about my past. I know that God settled that within me. And um, I'm, I'm here to tell you the peace and the freedom that you find in Christ is going to be worth all of that sex, drugs, rock and roll, pornography, and all of that other nonsense. It means nothing at the end of the day. It will never bring everlasting peace. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're just an incredibly, uh, cool and brave person. That's all I can say. I, I, uh, I'm really uh, so pleased to have you as a guest because you're so honest about everything. 
Well, I don't see myself as brave, Dan. It, it's sad in this culture, in this day and age, that anybody who speaks truth is seen as brave. Yeah. You know, we have to share what Christ has done in our life. And I just have to make sure he gets the glory and just give people hope, and especially those who are hurting. But thank you, though. I appreciate your kind words. Well, the, the, the reason I say that is because this is not an easy thing for a person to, uh, to talk about. And uh, it's something that takes a, a level of uh, commitment to Christ uh, and, and to your uh, salvation to uh, be willing to do this because it's not easy. It's like you when you were uh, uh, a child, when you were a young man, uh, you, you know, you felt that you were being uh, really ostracized and and abused, and uh, that doesn't stop when you're uh, being honest about things as you're an adult after you've been through that lifestyle, because I'm sure there are people on both sides of the issue that uh, uh, find fault with the things that you're trying to do. All you're trying to do is basically uh, point out the, the pitfalls and then get people to understand their salvation is in their hands. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. George, may I, may I jump on that mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but what changes when you come to Christ and you truly jump in with both feet is you're not relying on yourself for strength anymore. Absolutely. You're not relying on your ego. You have an, all you have to do is ask for strength and, from God and you have an endless supply an endless well of hope and strength and trust. And, and if I can speak for you, George, that's gotta be what's driving you. What keeps you going? Yes, absolutely. I want to make sure that people know God is, is the driving force because there are times where I get so discouraged with the attacks that I just kind of want to throw in the towel, but God just kind of keeps that fire going to where I can't stop. And so for those gay men who get cynical, I will say this to you. I could have easily, once I got my peace and I got out of that bondage, gone off into the sunset and said, you guys figure it out for yourself. But it takes a lot of courage for me to stick my neck out there and say to you, this is what Christ has done in my life and to really be honest about the gay lifestyle. And if you are honest, how much sex have you had? And has it ever filled that void? How much pornography can you look at? How many drugs can you do? How many wild nights of drinking? You still go home and have to face your demons. At what point are you going to say, I've had enough? You may never do that, but I had had enough. And as the liberals uh, are so quick to say, my body, my choice, I decided it's my body and it's my choice. I'm leaving this lifestyle. I've given you 25 years. It led to nothing but desperation, heartache, suicidal thoughts, and attempted suicide, addictions, and a bunch of other painful memories. And I just decided I've had enough. I gave Christ a chance and I have no regrets about it. Well, like I say, that's a, a very brave thing to say. And uh, I, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's a commitment you've made, and it's the right thing to do. But I guarantee you're still having to deal with uh, some of the, uh, I guess, some of the uh, uh, negativity of uh, both sides of the aisle. Yes. Talk a little bit, if you would, about what you see the church, the role of the church, and how they have a clear path of doing the right thing with people that are dealing with that, uh, uh, you know, the alternative lifestyle of uh, a gay or uh, lesbian 
uh, lifestyle, how they can deal with that in a positive way rather than in the negative ways that they've uh, so obviously exhibited. I heard of a story from a pastor where he had two lesbians come into the church and they were actually married and they wanted to test the pastor and, and see where do you stand on this issue and do you condemn us? And he just simply said to them, I will speak out against the sin of homosexuals, but I also speak out against the sin of heterosexuals. I'm not unjustly picking on anyone. And he said, we want you here. We want you to have a safe place to come and hear the truth of God's word. Didn't mistreat them. Those lesbians came and they continually attended that church and the Holy Spirit sitting under the conviction of the of the of a pastor who has the guts to speak the truth of God's word in love. They felt convicted and they divorced and they have renounced that lifestyle and they are now in church. They've given their lives to Christ. And I know that has happened with so many. Understand, you can't just expect a homosexual to walk into the church and to be healed overnight. For me, 25 years of being in that lifestyle, to this day, I'm still dealing with the repercussions of, of that wickedness and the things that I've done and the things that I've seen and been involved with. There are long-term repercussions, but God has been gracious in helping me to work through those. The individuals need to be in a church where they can simply hear the truth of God's word. What's wrong with just be compassionate and loving? You know, it's amazing how they want to condemn the homosexual, but they don't require the heterosexual to be perfect before they walk into the church. And how many heterosexuals within the church are having affairs or looking at pornography or sleeping around or they're shacked up, they're not married, they're living together, but they go pretty soft on that. But boy, let that homosexual come in and they are ready to pounce on them. So mm -hmm. I'm saying, let's start being fair and let's realize we all have our issues and we all have sin. We're none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous, but by the grace of God, for those of us who truly feel that conviction and want to please God, we will stop doing the things that offend him because God has feelings and what his son went through on the cross was a, a heavy price. And we don't even stop to think about what it must've been like for God when he had to turn his back on his own son and, and what Jesus had to suffer when he was innocent. Oh, God forbid we stop and think about that, but no, let's not offend anyone else. Let's offend God, but let's don't offend people. It's sickening mm -hmm. how twisted it has gotten. And these pastors, you better wake up. And to these woke Christians, I'm telling you, if you hear this today and you still harden your heart and stick your, dig your heels in the ground and you decide that we're just a bunch of nutcases you're going to answer to God for it. And you're not on judgment day. You're not going to claim ignorance and the repercussions are going to be great for you. God is not to be played with. He hates sin. He's offended by it. And it's time that we start calling it out for what it is in love, but we start encouraging people to pick up their cross. There is a price to pay, but like I said, the eternal reward is worth it. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I have a personal knowledge. A, a very good friend of mine, Ro Rosa Corey. Uh, she was one of the, lions against the uh, UN Agenda 21 uh, travesty that's happening in this country. Rosa died two years ago uh, this May uh, from cancer, and uh, she fought a good fight, but she was uh, married to another lady, uh, and Rosa was a very, very devout Christian person. She recognized the fact that what uh, her lifestyle was not what God wanted, what uh, Christ wanted, 
Uh, I attended a church service with her at one of our Red Pill Expos. Uh, we went to church together, and uh, she was truly committed to trying to do uh, the right thing. She just didn't uh, didn't know how to break out of that lifestyle. There are a lot of people in that situation, and uh, frankly, it's uh, it's the strength of faith that will cause that to happen. Yes. Um, okay, Elena, uh, let's talk about what your plans are. That's uh, George's book. And I, uh, incidentally, I talked to uh, Deborah DeGroff, the lady who I uh, is a uh, lady from West Virginia who's researched uh, child pornography throughout the school system. She's got several thousand books. Uh, that she's looked into, a, a, a very, very nice lady. She was uh, incredibly sick over the weekend, and uh, she apologized for not being able to join us. But, uh, George, she did order your book online and read it and said, wow, what a what a brilliant individual you are. Well, so, tell her I said thank you. Yeah. That, I get that, the glory. Well, we'll all get this thing done if we just start learning how to play in the same sandbox. We, you know, because uh, the fact is, is we're all in very much in the same vein and the same idea that we need to save this nation. We need to save our children. We need to save our souls. And this is the way that we're going to get it done. Uh, Elena, uh, talk about maybe some of the programs, some of the projects you've got planned and how people can uh, get your film and share it with many others. So the way to see the film, I, I made it free to watch because I want as many people as possible to watch it. I couldn't put it on any of the major platforms because I had already, I had a, a monetized role in YouTube channel and it was taken down without warning one day because I have been talking about topics like this. So I couldn't put it up on YouTube. I put it up on a website called americangroomerfilm.com. You just have to click, go to the website, click play, and you can watch it. So it's extremely easy to share. There's no, you know, um, uh, no barrier to entry. And if anybody honestly thinks that they can use it for whatever cause, if they're, if they're working to help children, whether they're in politics on a school board or they're just, you know, a social media influencer and I, they can DM me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at the based mother and I'll be happy to share them uh, down a link where from to my Google drive, where they can download the film and clip it up and react to it. I want to make this a tool for people. I did a lot of work, put it together. Um, you know, I paid for it entirely myself. I, and I had no budget for marketing or PR. So what I'm doing now is getting the word out and I'm grateful to people like you who have invited me on to talk about it and it's helping it's working. People are, people are starting to see the truth and they're, they're, they're grossed out and they're flipped out by it. And I get a lot of messages saying, I shared this with, I, you know, I share this with so many people. Thank you for doing this. And that's the way it's going to grow because it has no budget. So that's, mm -hmm. so right now I'm spending my time PR marketing, getting, doing appearances like this and, um, letting everybody know that if they are having an event or a hearing that they need me to come speak at and share some facts, I, you know, I will be a voice. I will show up. I'm ready to go. 
Well, and they can reach you through your uh, through your website, right? Um, actually, it's on uh, either Twitter or Instagram DMs are probably the best way to reach me, or they could get me at um, our media. It's media at americangroomerfilm.com is a, an email address that you know I personally check. So you can catch me there. there you know, there's a few ways to get a hold of me. Okay, good. And uh, one of uh, one of the things that comes out of this film is that it's incredibly graphic. And as you said, you said it yourself, in some ways very gross. But the fact is, that is why it is so important for people to share this and to view it and to use it as a tool to go to school boards, to go to uh, different groups and let them know what's going on because as gross as it is and as graphic as it is, can you imagine that this stuff is in our school system and what you show is only a very, very small portion of all the pornography that is now literally scattered throughout our school system? Right. And I think it's really important to understand the organizations that are pushing it, that this is the American Library Association and that, you know, anything that's in any of these books that a kid opens up could be walk like I showed in the film, could be walking up to a teacher and having asking questions about the page in this book about anal masturbation. That's just one page in here. You know, you could live your whole life. You could live a hundred years and not understand what that is and live a very fulfilling, protective, productive life. And mm -hmm. for them to be saying that it's important for children to know this is, is beyond the pale of absurd. And they, this has gone unchecked for so many decades. Mm -hmm. You know, one person made a comment on one of my, um, one of my Instagram shorts. Oh, you know, this is the Biden administration. And I'm like, gee, I'd love to nail it on him, but it's not. Yes, he's behind it and he's pushing it with things like the Equality Act, which will allow for men in women's restrooms and sports and scholarships and all that. He is definitely a driving force at the moment, but this started decades ago. Yeah. And we just, yeah. we were all just have been asleep at the wheel. It's It started many decades ago, although... Um, I'm in my 70s now, and uh, when I was a kid, it was really controversial whether our school library would uh, have a copy of Catcher in the Rye. Now, that's how far we, we've gone in a matter of about uh, 60 years. Right. It's and amazing. the people that I interviewed, the you know, the those those people, one of them was my mother. And when you saw the elderly people, those are all retired people. Um, and they ranged in age from about 65 to the oldest person in the room was 90. And I wanted to really show how far we've come and and how fast and how how tragic it is. You know, they they again they were able to raise families, build lives. Mm -hmm. You know, um, their family lines will go on and they didn't need to know any of this stuff. They didn't need to know that some people like to get hanged, hanged from the ceiling and spanked. That's a sick thing to talk to a child about. It's a no sick kidding. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, you, your, uh, your program, what you've done with this is uh, so incredibly important. Um, again, uh, please, people support this film, share this film and uh, share this message. And George, um, 
you are also willing to travel around the country uh, and talk to various groups. I think it's very important that people buy your book, read the information in there. You also have much information in there. Have you had uh, any uh, real significant outreach uh, to have you come before school boards and various church groups yet? I've had some try to broach the subject, even pre, uh, speaking at colleges, but they must be getting pushback because the, they never follow up and invite me. Um, some of the churches have been very open. And again, I have that list of those churches on my website and the conferences. Um, it's just sadly, Dan, you know, sometimes when I'm speaking, a lot of people with these Christians will sit there with their arms folded and they have a scowl on their face and they just really hate what I'm saying. But what I can say to them is that you don't understand the LGBT lifestyle and how dare you sit there and think that you know more about it than me. And that what I'm saying is hate speech when it is the most loving thing I can do to try to warn these youth who are being groomed to go into this lifestyle. You may do it, but let me tell you what awaits you down the, in that, in that lifestyle and the dangers and the pitfalls of it, but nobody wants to talk about it. It has been very frustrating, Dan. And, and to Elena, I don't know if she knows this, but there are some school systems in which uh, teachers have brought in sex toys from anal lube to dildos to butt plugs. I mean, this is the stuff that they are bringing in even for elementary and junior high students. It's sickening what they're doing, but a lot of parents just sit there and act like it's no big deal. And, and I don't even think they talk to their children anymore and ask them, what are you learning? And Dan, this is so important for a parent. If they want to know what's going on in their child's life, um, this is really key. Um, I had spoken to six couples in the Midwest who got together. We did a Zoom call. They all had LGBT kids. And I said, it's so important that you leave the line of communication open for your children, because if you react negatively and throw a fit and act like a horse's end, you're going to not only shut them down, but you're going to push them into this lifestyle where there are no godly influences, at least by keeping the line of communication open. You know what they're dealing with. You know how to pray for them. It's nothing that God can't handle. But what happened was, was one of the mothers took to heart that conversation. Her son had come in to her several days later, and he was very upset. But he had met a man online, met up with the guy. The guy overpowered him and raped him. It was pretty brutal. And mm -hmm. she said, because we had that conversation, I didn't overreact. I just simply said, we will get through this. They took them to the hospital. They did what they needed to do. But it is so, it is so important that even if your child is sharing something with you that is so distressing and upsetting to you, even if it's what the school is doing, it's important that you remain calm and get the information from them. Now, you can go into another room and beat on the pillow or throw dishes, but your child needs to know my parent my parents, they are a safe place where I can go and share with them what's happening and have that dialogue with them and ask them, what are you learning? And, and when you tell me, I'm not going to get upset or angry. I just simply want to know the truth and know that I'm always here for you. And we can talk about whatever you're going through. It is key. And I wished I'd had that communication with my parents. And sadly, it took them reading the book for them to realize we had no idea what you're going through. And they were saddened by the fact because they said, why didn't you come and tell us? But how do you say to your father, I think I'm a homosexual. You fear being rejected and kicked out of the house, which happens to so many LGBT youth. And my mom was equally as distressed about it as well. So they need to know that they have a safe place to, to come and talk to you. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think I want to add that parents have to be extremely proactive in that, mm-hmm. not passive in that, because in the, in these types of books, a lot of what they're saying is talk to find someone on the Internet to talk to, talk to your friend, talk mm-hmm. to the school counselor, talk to your teacher, very little talk to your parents and you have to talk to all these strangers because your parents don't understand you. They will never get you. They will never accept you. And this is what they're doing. They're actually indoctrinating children to step back from their parents. So it is extremely crucial to get through to parents that you have to, now you're fighting a wave of bad information of people who are brick by by brick building a wall between you and your kid. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all about destroying the relationship of uh, parents and children, uh, creating a uh, a negative uh, atmosphere for the idea of family. And uh, of course, this is again, it goes back to the same eugenics program and the idea that they're going to reduce the world's population by 93%. That's their own projections of what they want to do. This is the way they're going to try to accomplish it. And thank God both of you are willing to put yourselves out there and be part of the uh, the watchmen on the wall that are talking about this openly and letting people know what's behind this whole thing. Thank you, too, Dan. Yeah, You're right I here s- with us. Yeah, Dan, I was going to say thank you, and Elena, you as well, and anyone else. Um, it really is, to me, brave when uh, hosts like you want to have us on uh, to discuss this stuff because a lot of people shy away from it. It's amazing how many people don't want to touch the subject. Well, I, I, part of being brave is uh, being brave to reality. And uh, thank God that people like you are involved in this movement as well. And I truly mean that because uh, without God, it wouldn't happen. And uh, I have, this is a great way to bring in the new year. We couldn't ask for a better gift uh, to to open the new year and what we're going to do to take this country and this world back. And it's going to happen by people like you, people like uh, the Patriot Soapbox Network, uh, Brighteon TV. There are a lot of platforms out there now that are speaking openly. And uh, 2024 will be the year that not only we bring our country back, but we bring uh, Christ back into everybody's life. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee across the plains of Texas oh from sea to shining sea from Detroit down to Houston and New York to LA where there's pride in every American heart and it's time we stand and say 